Yellich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich, he has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Get out of here and go! Ryan Braun, he just hit a walk-off What's going on, Ball and Glove Love and Brewer fans? Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. I'm your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Kurt or read my articles by following me on Reviewing the Brew on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod or search us on YouTube, Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. Trevor, my cheesehead loving buddy, is doing Lord knows what today. He was supposed to join me, but not quite sure where he went. But we do have a special guest on the show today. And it is Josh, a contributor reviewing the brew with me as well. So, Josh, why don't you say hello to our listeners? Tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be able to talk brewers. Yeah, so my Twitter handle is at Josh Waldock, W-A-L-D-O-C-H. And like Tyler, you can read me at Reviewing the Brew. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Brewer fan and excited to be here to talk about the Brewers. Yeah, from what we were talking about earlier, you have a special kind of interest in the analytical side of things, which is something I enjoy as well. And I'm always learning, so it's always good to mm-hmm. have discussions like that um, with other people where it can be be pretty positive and reinforcing for everyone. So maybe we'll get into a little bit of that today. Of course, this offseason has just been so strange. Like We expected it was going to be slow, but the Brewers are unfortunately living up to that by literally... I don't even know if they signed a major leaguer this offseason. I don't think so. So just I, yeah, insane. I think the Rams deal with minor league, so I don't. I think nothing has like there's no major league deals yet. No, not at all. And it, it kind of gets frustrating when you take into like a look at what's going on with some of the other National League teams. Like the Padres are just being ultra aggressive. The Mets get a new owner, and all of a sudden they make this huge deal with the Indians, and fans are sitting there going, could the Brewers have made that trade? Why aren't we doing anything? Is there anything you've seen out of what these other ball clubs are doing that has kind of made you think, why weren't the Brewers in on any of this? As much as I wish I could like, wish I could say that I, I thought the Brewers were, could get Snell or Lindor or Carrasco, I mean... Unfortunately, the Brewers just don't have the minor league depth that the other that the Padres do, or even the Mets, to the point where they could acquire that. So I wish I could say that we were getting Carrasco or someone like that, but it's kind of not surprising, especially with the way that Stearns and Council have emphasized depth. I mean, they would, it seems that they'd rather have five players who are going to put up a win a piece as opposed to one five win player. So it kind of seems like we're going to be having a jigsaw puzzle again and hopefully they can cut the right pieces and we can get back to the playoffs this year. You know, those are like 
the exact words I didn't want to hear. <laughs> it, it seems like it's so far. It's it's so true. I mean, granted, yeah. this is still early January. I, I expect a flurry of signings are going to happen at some point. I, I hope. I hope the players don't drag this out into, you know, the middle of the season, which we've seen happen in the past. I mean, yeah. you're seeing some more players sign overseas now. It, it's just this whole COVID thing has impacted the owners and it's really easy to kind of blame that on the Brewers lack of making moves and like, Mm -hmm. who's the third baseman? Nobody still knows. It's just kind of frustrating. I think one of the things that is going to be interesting, especially with Cleveland now, I mean, there appears they're going for a full blown rebuild and tear down. So Jose Ramirez, I'm just saying they look pretty good in pinstripes. Not (laughs) sure what it would cost. It would probably an arm and a leg and then some, but Stearns has shown he's willing to pull off surprises before Kane and Yelich in the same day, so you never know. That is true. I mean, Ramirez is kind of interesting, though. I, I hadn't taken that into consideration, and you, you mentioned it could be a big haul, but then at the same time, obviously this is a little bit different situation. Like, the haul for, you know, there was Lindor and Carrasco in the Indians to the Mets trade, and the Indians... Mm-hmm. It was well known they weren't going to re-sign this, you know, young twenty-seven, four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover. He he had didn't they didn't have the money to do it, whereas the Mets do. But it felt like yeah. just the return, like you were mentioning, a win a piece, maybe a player. It, it makes you wonder if maybe the Brewers could pull off a trade like this. Sorry, I'm just pulling up uh, Ramirez's page right now. I mean, he has a long-term contract for. Looks like he signed a five-year deal So back in 2017, so he's covered through this season and then two years of club options. It's a 5.2 AAV, so that's extremely affordable, for especially for a player of his caliber. So that makes me think that Cleveland's going to hold him to their, like, tight to their chest because while he's inconsistent, he has been, I mean, 163 WRC plus last year, 17 home runs. I mean, he's like solidify himself in the MVP race after really kind of fucking around in 2019. And then 2018, he was one of the best players. So my guess is he's not going to be on the block. And if he is, it's not going to fall to the Brewers. But, you know, a guy can dream. <laughs> That's true. I mean, we're all still dreaming like Nolan Arenado's coming to the Brewers and all, all that, which yeah. probably is not happening. <laughs> Now, um, one of the good things is he's probably not coming to the Central if he does get moved. The Central is just so messed up this offseason. Mm-hmm. You got the Cubs shedding payroll. You got the Pirates trading away their best player in Josh Bell. The Reds are like, ah, we're losing Bauer. We might as well explore options for Sonny Gray. And it's like, the you know, the NL Central has always been so competitive, but it seems like this year it's still going to be competitive, but it's going to be like, the most looked down upon division in the National League, which is really kind of sad. I agree. I mean, I think it's just, it show. I, I think I don't want to sound the kind of like a, like I'm selling out for ownership or anything, but I think it's because in the middle of a, in the, kind of the central division, the outside of the Cubs, everyone else is the medium market team. So I think kind of, it's tough to compete with the Dodgers, the Yankees and that on the coast, but yeah, still, Instead of trying to find creative ways to win, it seems like the Central is going to be won basically by the team who didn't, who hasn't given up the most this season, if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does make sense. And as we kind of like tie in all these other trades that are happened and not giving up the most, I mean, Josh Hader plays into a factor there 
So mm-hmm. we kind of talk talked a little bit about like like Padres and the or the Padres and the Cubs and like the Blake Snell trade. Like the Halls just didn't seem to live up to like expectations from what we would expect in years past, which really makes it seem like Josh Hader's probably going to stay put this year because our expectations are obviously through the roof um, with a trade regarding him. So at this point, I feel pretty confident we're going to enter 2021 with Josh Hader on the Brewers. Um, Would you kind of agree with that, or do you feel any different? I think so. I think that this is in a situation where Hader's gone at the end of the year. He's arbitration eligible for the next couple years. Just the way that the current system is set up the Brewers hold all the leverage and I think that you know you look at what happened with the role of Chapman you got traded for Glaber Torres and three other prospects one of which Billy McKinney is actually on the 40-man roster now like the Brewers that was for a half season I mean so you're gonna kind of view that as I think Stearns and company would probably view that as kind of the baseline of what they'd expect in a hater trade and I think right now with all the uncertainty about COVID about the season but the upcoming CBA, I think all those factors are going to affect, are going to kind of play a role in ultimately keeping Hader on the team for at least, I think, this season. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. I mean, I think my biggest fear would be is this becomes like the uh, Lindor situation. You get to the expiring end of his contract and you know he's not going to resign, so you got to try and mm-hmm. trade him, and then you get just a, a crap return, which is obviously the hard part in trying to figure out when should you trade him. Is he going to stay in Milwaukee? Is he interested in doing that? Uh, the CBA, everything you mentioned, um, is just, there's just a lot to take into consideration rather than just trade him or not. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not an agent. I'm not going to pretend that I know all the inner workings of what's going on with the Brewers and his agent. I know that... um. There were reports last year that it was kind of a tenuous arbitration just with kind of they were like kind of disagreeing on what stats were most valued with that. So obviously there's a lot of different ways that can resolve itself and it might have resolved itself now. There might still be hard feelings, but that's all stuff that is also going to factor into it when you get closer, you know, if you're going to sign an extension. Also, there is the fact about relievers that they tend to have kind of a shorter shelf life. I mean, not every reliever is going to be a Rivera or a Hoffman where there's 20 years of pure dominance. Yeah, certainly that's the hope. I mean, yeah. I think you, you have hope because like Hater's velocity was down at least the beginning part of this year. And he, he became more of a pitcher with throwing that slider more. And then as, as the season went along, that velocity uptook and the slider usage went down, I think just a little bit. I don't have the exact mm-hmm. numbers in front of me. But he definitely showed the ability to adapt and become more that pitcher rather than just that power guy who's going to blow the high fastball by you. So I, I do think there is hope that he can stay a dominant reliever for many years to come. Yeah, I mean, I think that, he definitely has the stuff to, and like you said, he was incorporating, I think, like you said, a slider more, kind of doing more than just blowing them away with his fastball, which still is, I think, one of the best fastballs in baseball. But I just pulled up his uh, stat cast page, and yeah, I mean, he was able to avoid barrels on the balls. Um, he had one of the lowest exit velocities with uh, pitches, so, you know, when people were making contact, it wasn't traveling particularly fast. His slider usage was up. Two-thirds of his pitches were a four-seam, one-third were a slider, which is, I think, a lot better than it was last in 2019. Oh, yeah, it certainly was for sure. I think his fastball was near, like, 80 in 19 or 20, if I remember correctly. So Yeah, uh, 83%. Oof. 
Crazy, crazy. And he was still that dominant with it. Obviously, the home run issues, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, you know, what's happening this offseason in a nutshell there. There isn't really a whole lot other to talk about. Before we get into some more more specific Brewer expectations for this coming season, I do want to get your thoughts on with the recent trades in with the Mets and the Padres, like we were talking about, uh, and obviously the Dodgers trying to make a super pen, are any of these three teams right now viewed as the favorites in the National League, do you think? Or is are we just overhyping all of them because they're the only ones doing anything? I think the Dodgers are still the favorites in the NL, which is crazy when you add a Cy Young Award winner and the runner-up this year, or third place. I'm not entirely sure on that, but it's crazy that you can add, you can beef up the rotation as much as the Padres have done and still not be the best in your division. I think at this point, the Dodgers have to be assumed to be the favorite. I think the Mets took big steps. I mean, Carrasco is great. So you'll have DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco, and Syndergaard, who be back around June or July is what um, like reports are saying. So I think that'll definitely make them a contender in the East. It's no longer the Braves' division to win, which is going to be interesting to see what happens. I think the Marlins also could be frisky, but I think right now it's the Dodgers, a gap, Padres, Mets, a gap, and then the rest of the NL. I think that's a fair way to look at it, and fortunately it's all bigger market teams up there. So frustrating. But yeah, let's let's talk about these Milwaukee Brewers as we look towards the 2021 season. They're obviously guys we know that are going to be on the roster, and one guy you wrote about recently was Lorenzo Cain. So it he obviously had that phenomenal first year with the Brewers, kind of took a step back in 2019, and then opted out of the 2020 season. So what's the summary of your article, or what are your expectations um, for him as we approach this next season? I think Lorenzo Cain is a really interesting guy to look at. as a. I don't even know if it's a bounce back. I mean, I guess it would be a bounce back year. It's going to be interesting. I mean, he's defense still going to be elite. He finally got his gold glove in 2019, and you know, hopefully he'll continue to hopefully he'll get another one in 2021. I mean, I think it's safe to assume he's going to play at that level again for defense, but I think one of the things also that's hopeful for his 2021 is I guess, I don't even know if they're advanced stats as much as kind of stats like Babbitt. So Babbitt measures batting average on balls in play, so you know, it takes out any strikeouts, home runs, stuff like that. So Kane's fell dramatically from 2018 to 2019, which or typically will indicate he got unlucky. So I think that is kind of one of the things that should factor into a stronger 2021. You know, luck is impossible to really quantify, but I think that's going to be one of the things that is going in his favor. He also still hit the ball hard in 2019. And all in all, he's going to be a great guy to have in the clubhouse, which Kind of may sound like a cop-out, but I don't think there's any way to really quantify the clubhouse presence in that case. So I think that's kind of one of the things to look forward to is even if his offense is no, isn't is back to 2018 levels, you're going to have great defense and you're going to have a great clubhouse guy that really will, I think, help the team overall. Yeah, I don't think that's a cop-out answer at all. I mean, when isn't like Lorenzo Cain smiling or goofing around on the field? I mean, sometimes it feels like the Brewers kind of lack that energy and... Lorenzo Cain definitely helps bring it each and every day. Because as we know, baseball yeah. is, is just such a grind. So uh, I think yeah, that I mean, will definitely I mean, help. 
him and Brent Suter are going to fire up the team like nothing else. <laughs> oh, yeah. My gosh. You have mentioned in your article here like a couple projections. Um, and you, you like to you have F4 listed in here. And I think the most optimistic one is 2.3 wins. Um, I, I was kind of looking around back at like his his baseball reference stats. Um, that's the side I like to use. And like the okay. highest war he had in a season was seven. Uh, his first year with the Brewers, it was six point seven. That was the second highest, obviously. So I guess my question is, would you be happy if he hit that two point three mark? I would be. So I mean, that's a Fangraphs calculation of war. So it's a little. It's calculated differently than the baseball reference. So it's kind of a little more. I don't, maybe not conservative is the right answer, or like kind of the right word, but it factors in stuff a little differently. I mean, going on Fangraphs, his highest was 6.1, uh, 2018 was 5.7. So you're looking at probably about a point, a war or so difference. It's not a perfect like calculation, but yeah, I think uh, you know if he put up two wit, two uh, two wins, I think that'd be a great bounce back year for him. Um, that's probably close to in line with what someone of his age should be putting together. I don't have kind of the aging curves or that kind of data up, but you know, that's a solid kind of the baseline is any like one to two is kind of a solid starter. Two to three is a um, good player. Three to four is an all-star and anything over four is a great season. It's kind of the typical way of breakdown. So that would put him in the solid starter campaign I mean, category, which is I think really what, the Brewers need out of him. I agree with that. I mean, my hopes with that is if he hits hits that project highest projected war there, like we're talking about, he's you know back in the leadoff spot. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll ever draw as many walks as he did his first year in Milwaukee because that was just insane. But he's such just such a great contact hitter. Um, obviously, we yeah. talked about his defensive presence already. Just kind of set the table for the other guys in the lineup who also need bounce back years for the Brewers in 2021. Um, yeah. So let's let's move into Christian Yelich here. Obviously, he went from you know playing at back-to-back seasons of near and one season of MVP caliber to all of a sudden, you know, like a 205 hitter, strikeout numbers mm-hmm. through the roof. Just not what any fan wanted to see. So what was your take on his 2020 season, and what can we expect with him next year? I know I've found very optimistic with all of this, and I've been told before that I like I'm way too optimistic about stuff. But I kind of view it as if you're going to be a fan of something, why not root for the best of it? But so just that caveat going in. One of the things I think with Christian Yelich that really shows promise is his exit velocity. Um, I know it's not kind of a perfect stat. I mean, anyone like. I guess not anyone, but if you have a guy who goes out there and whacks the ball 120 miles an hour off the bat every time, doesn't mean it's going to be a great hit. But better correlation with uh, WRC plus or so weighted runs created, and that is kind of a I think a good benchmark of offensive prowess. So he was hitting the ball hard, which is good. And really, his biggest struggles were the infamous one for 27 bout at the start of the year, which you know if you factor that out. It wasn't, a, I mean, it wasn't a yellow season in Milwaukee, but it was a solid season throughout. I know you wrote an article where you kind of broke it down and kind of looked more, I think your conclu- your conclusion was kind of that he, it looked like he lost his confidence was overthinking out there, which I think also is a factor into kind of everything. I think maybe having Lorenzo Cain out there setting the table will boost that. 
Yeah, I think confidence was just such a huge thing for him last year. I mean, the biggest difference was that he just never swung the bat, especially early in the counts. Like, he became such an aggressive hitter his first two years, and then all of a sudden he's like, I'm not helping the team. I'm just going to try and get on via the walk, which, you know, he did a pretty good job of that. But in 2019, the season he hit 44 home runs, 21 of those home runs came on the second pitch or quicker of an at-bat. And then in 2020, he hit just two home runs in those same measures. So just such, it just goes to show you that these guys are human and, you know, they need to have this confidence too. So when we talk about like a season not starting on time, a shutdown and all that jazz, like I do not want any of that anymore. He just needs a normal spring training, um, go through the process and, and just gain that confidence back in spring. Like I think he should be able to. And I think, I mean, I don't want to, kind of write off any of like the struggles last season that the players went like that the players seemed to have out on the field but I really wonder how much of that was because of the uncertain like the pandemic I mean the start and stop and then also just the uncertainty of knowing well is this game going to be the last game of the season are they going to can it all tomorrow I think that kind of had some tolls on the players that he can't quantify but was there yeah I think backing track to like Lorenzo Cain. I think that was a good example because the season just started and then the Cardinals just mess up royally. And then Cain's like, yep, I'm out for my family. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I respect that decision 100% there that he did. Let's shift over to Keston Hira. So another guy looking for a bounce back theme of, you know, the off season here this year, obviously a very young hitter, unproven, but hitting is like, that's his tool. That's what everybody expects him to do. So what are your expectations for him as we look to 2021? I mean, I think hitting, just being able to hit more. I think, um, I know he was lauded as kind of the best pure hitter the Bruce had developed since Ryan Braun. And he proved that in 2019. I mean, his he was making good contact. He was hitting home runs like no one expected him to. I think he hit a total of I think almost 40 home runs between AAA and the majors in 2019. And then, you know, he really took a step back in 2020. He still hit home runs, which is good. I think he, he had 13 home runs, but he wasn't uh, hitting the ball, at, I think, at the same level he was in 2019. Um, I guess going back to Babbitt, he had an exceptionally high Babbitt in 2019. It was over 400. And 2020, it fell down to 273. So in case, you know, you're not as well aware kind of or like in tune with what Babbitt, how Babbitt is measured. So there's no real average, but it typically is, you can expect it to be around 300. So, you know, with exceptionally high, like Heroes was, that's going to be a, that's a sign of a clear regression candidate. And that's what he did, unfortunately. But I think he does barrel the ball well. I think he makes good contact. He continues I think he'll continue to hit the ball hard. And one of the nice things is his expected stats looked good from last year. So I know expected stats aren't you know, reality stats. Otherwise, they'd be called like, the regular stats. But I think that's a sign of uh, optimism for Hira. And I think he can continue to hit. And I think his defense hopefully will get better. Um, Council, I think, is a good instructor of defense. And hopefully he can work with Hira on that. Otherwise, he might have to shift into first base but you know all that stuff that uh is for people above my pay grade <laughs> that's true 
But man, would I kill just to like hit ground balls like Kesson here all day? I would. I would like to do that, or just field them at first base. <laughs> that, that would be yeah. fun. Uh, but yeah, the bad VIP is so interesting because obviously 402 is not sustainable. And, you know, I kind of did some digging into it as well to how he, how he could drop, you know, below 300, like you mentioned. And mm-hmm. his exit velocity was about four ticks slower in 2020 here this year. And then he just hit the ball on the ground a lot more. So, yeah. you know, for like a guy who, you know, it's not like Keston Hira is a huge, he, he hits for power, but you, I kind of view him more as like a, a gap to gap guy rather than like he's in a mash 40 home runs even though we mentioned how many home runs he had between double a and triple a but i just don't think that's how he projects out long term like i'd much rather see him getting doubles um slugging the ball that way um i don't think he's going to be like you know that big guy who's going to hit the ball into left field because that's not what he does he uses all fields of the yeah. of the plate like really well so it makes sense i think yeah i think i'm not sure the exact scouting reports on him but I, i'm pretty sure when he was coming up they were kind of expected like what marking him in kind of the 20 to 25 home run category you know obviously 25 home runs is a great amount of home runs it's more home runs than you or i could hit ever but sure. that's kind of you know not what you view when you view kind of the big bopper homer guy and i think Kesson Hira almost may have tried to become that last year and it may not or kind of after 2019 kind of may have tried and you know that may not have uh translated well that's a good point because like in 2019 he obviously had kind of we'll call it protection like with other strong hitters in the lineup and all of a sudden 2020 it's like hey it's you and yelly we're expecting you to be our run producers and when they both struggled uh that's not good for team offense so that kind of really makes me a little nervous heading into this 2021 season, seeing how uh, not many signings have happened to address this at all. I, mean, I guess with guys like Narvaez possibly being able to take a step forward, um, you know, that might, obviously you're not going to have guys like Thames and Moose backing him up, which is unfortunate, uh, but, you know, I think Narvaez can take a step forward offensively or I guess kind of return to his pre-2020 offensive production. And I think that they, they can piece – I think the Brewers can piece something together where obviously you're not going to replicate Grandal and Moose, but I think you can get something closer to that and kind of more of what the Brewers' price range. I think that having that backup could help here uh, more. Yeah, obviously if Vogelbach returns to all-star level hitting, that'll that'll be a big boost, but there, there's a ton of questions we'll right there. Vogelbach. <laughs> Uh, oh it's gosh! It's interesting to see what happens with him with the DH. If there is one, if there isn't one, he's. I mean, first base is kind of I think stuck in pattern right now until they get the DH answer. Yeah, and I, I've heard so many conflicting things that's for sure going to be there. Oh, it's not going to be there. So the fact we're this far in the season is just, and we don't, or this far in the off season, excuse me, we don't know is just insane because like you get our team supposed to plan so uh whatever you know that's that's what the you know that's why they get paid like Stearns and uh, Matt Arnold get paid to do and uh you and I can just sit on the couch and watch <laughs> true all right let's go into one last guy here um this I am asking for Trevor because he is such a a big Corbin Burns fan and I think really his 2020 season caught all of us just completely off guard. I did not expect him to, you know, be getting that Cy Young talks. 
by mm-hmm. any means. Uh, but but sure enough, he was right there. Was one out shy of being within what the top five of the ERA title, something like that. But yeah. man, what do you, what do you think for Burns next year? Burns is so interesting. Opening day 2019, I uh, tweeted that he's gonna win the Cy Young Award. <laughs> That didn't happen, so I going uh, to avoid doing that again this year. I don't want to jinx it, but I think I think he and Woodruff are going to form a, I mean, continue to form a legitimate two-headed monster at the top of the rotation. I think everything that Burns has here has really pushed him to a, I think a new level. I mean, he he changed as a pitcher instead of throwing his four seamer, he almost cut it out entirely and really relied on the sinker and cutter with I mean I could just watch those on tape like all day on loop it's they're amazing and I know you um put out a piece today about Brandon Woodruff and kind of what how he can become the ace like I think no matter what Woodruff does no offense to you I think Burns is going to be like the ace by the end of the year Burns is going to solidify himself as the ace of the rotation very bold prediction I think for me but I think I think Burns has the stuff to do it Hey, you know, that's a really fun thing to, like, try and think about. Like, who has the higher ceiling, Brandon Woodruff or Corbin Burns? It's so tough because Corbin Burns obviously possesses extremely good swing and miss, the high strikeout stuff, like, Mm -hmm. stuff that is, you know, valued in today's game. Not to say Brandon Woodruff doesn't, but just not quite to that that same level that – that Corbin Burns does, but Brandon Woodruff, he's really good at keep, keeping the ball down and in the ballpark, and he, he's been a little, you know, he's done this for a few more years than what Corbin Burns has, but, you know, if I had to say, if I had to guess, I would actually probably rate Corbin Burns' ceiling just slightly above Brandon Woodruff's, which is a good thing to have. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can have two legit aces on your rotation, that's a great rotation. I know you mentioned kind of that Burns has kind of the more, I guess, sexier, like, kind of metrics under him. I mean, his spin rates are elite, which, depending on if you view it as all natural or based on, like, the LA Times report, you know, sports substances, but Burns has elite stuff, and as a positive, he wasn't uh, mentioned as one of the guys in there, but... His spin rate's elite. He is great at induced, I mean, just missing the bat. And then Woodruff, I mean, he can come and he'll overpower you and then he'll throw a changeup. But two, like, they, I think they're both, they're both great pitchers, but I think they have diff- their different strengths make them, I think, more compatible together. That is a really good point, actually. Because, I mean, you take a look, like, that's kind of if the Brewers would have and Corbin Burns would have been healthy, I guess, entering the postseason. Like, that was the one thing giving me hope as we entered the Dodgers series was we have Woodruff and Burns going back-to-back. Obviously, Burns got hurt, and that didn't happen. But, like, mm-hmm. at least with how they performed last season, I would not want to face that two-headed monster, as he called it. And, like, it, your your chances of winning a three-game series, I, I'd be kind of scared, even, even though we were going against the top – seeded Dodgers at that point obviously it didn't play out like that but it's still that kind yeah. of same kind of factor going forward I think will help us in the postseason yeah I agree I mean you know instead of it becoming a 162 game grind it becomes winning two games and you put Woodruff and Burns on the bump after that I think that the Brewers have a good shot as anyone on that situation and then you throw it over to Hayter and then give your winner Devin Williams also I mean that's uh 
I think that's the lethal combo right there. Yep, especially with how clutch Brandon Woodruff has been throughout his career pitching in big mm-hmm. games. So that is a big thing to have as well. But we could debate probably all day on these two guys, um, but we will probably wrap it up here today. Um, I would like to thank you again for joining the show. Can you remind us where we can find your work again? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I hope my uh, ramblings made sense to you guys. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh Waldock. That is Waldock, W-A-L-D-O-C-H. And also you can read me on Reviewing the Brew. All right, everyone, give him a follow. Well-deserved. Lots of good content coming from Josh here in the future. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks. Have a good one.